take it back to grassroots. Welcome back to the Trap Medicine Podcast. My name is Salome, and today I am joined with Asia and Natalie. So today we will be talking all about sexual health. We'll be touching on how to have safe sex, um, birth control methods, and HIV, HIV, and HIV. Um, so to start us off, we're going to start with an icebreaker. So the question is, what is your favorite sexy song? Okay, so I have two. So one of my favorite sexy songs is going to be um, Say It by Neo. And then my other sexy song is going to be um, Rock It by Beyonce. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm also a Beyonce fan, so Partition would be my favorite sexy song. Nice. So um, I would say a lot of songs by The Weeknd. I was going to pick The Weeknd. It's just his voice. It's his voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'll also say Love and Joe by Jack Harlow. Yes. Okay, but the weekend it has to be like early, yeah, early will be like what's that mixtape? Yes, it's like uh, the part, the one that has the party and the after party. Yeah, I can't think of that specific right. one, but I yeah, you were here. So the first section is on safe sex. So we've all heard about safe sex, but let's talk about what's going on in LA County. So it was found that sexually transmitted diseases have continued to rise in Los Angeles County. And in 2019, there were a total of 98,000 cases of STDs reported. And the majority of reported cases were chlamydia, followed with gonorrhea and syphilis. Um, so according to the CDC, SDI has hit a six-year all-time high. So let's step back a little bit and talk about what is safe sex and what does it mean to you guys. Um, safe sex to me, um, more so means you taking charge of your health or in your interactions with people, um, being proactive, going to get tested. Um, if you are going to randomly sleep with people or, you know, have a lot of sexual partners, being honest about that, um, using contraceptive when you can and making sure that you stay as safe as possible. Yeah, definitely protecting you and your partner from STDs. And also talking about, you know, or thinking about unplanned pregnancy, definitely incorporated in safe sex. Um, so going into STI and STD, which are sexually transmitted infections or diseases. So they are diseases that can be passed from one person to another through intimate physical contact and sexual activities. And it's very common in the United States, half of all sexually active people We'll get an STD by age 25. Um, what do you guys think about that? Is that shocking? Um, I know one ST, our STD that a lot of women get um, that they don't think is an STR STD, and we actually did a presentation on this, um, HPV. So um, you, as you know, if you're a woman, um, once you turn 21 or after the first time you're sexually active, um, you have to get a pap smear. So pap smear is checking for um, abnormal cells around your cervix um, and those or traces of HPV. And there are a gazillion different types of strands of HPV. Uh, majority of them do not cause cancer. Um, but there are nine 
special ones, I believe, that are pretty prominent um, to grow into cancer. So most sexually active women will contract HPV in their lifetime. Um, majority of them not being cancerous, obviously. But, you know, ways to go about that and making sure your practice there, screening. If you're listening to this right now and not, have not gotten your womanly um, this year, please call your physician and sign up to get your pap smear, okay? It's very important. Um, and if HPV shows up on your pap smear, do not freak out. Your body, your vagina is self-cleansing, okay? It does its own thing. It regulates itself. So it might just clear that virus right on out by itself. Um, and then you just get annually pap smeared yearly following that. Thank you, Asia, for that reminder. Appreciate it. Um, so looking at methods of safe sex, I think we're all aware of condoms. I think it's one of the most popular ways to have safe sex. Uh, but outside of condoms, what do you think of other ways you and a partner can have success? I think sharing your SDI uh, status and getting a recent test um, after, you know, every new partner that you have would be a great way to sort of keep up with your own health, but also to protect the health of those you are continuing sex with. So, um, and having conversations with your partners. If you're comfortable enough to have sex, I think you should be comfortable enough having these types of conversations as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. I know it can be intimidating, but you know, better safe than sorry. That's the first approach and protecting you and your partner's health. Um, and I guess talking, let's talk about a little more about communicating with your partner, you know, talking sooner about it than later is best. Um, and, you know, when you're seeing someone, do you think about any red flags, like not wanting to disclose can be seen as a red flag and just be aware of that. Um, and then I guess what are some risky behaviors that puts a person like at risk? Um, definitely condom usage. You know, I mean, condoms are going to be like your basic barrier. If you guys don't disclose like your status or you haven't gotten screened in a long time, but you just like have to have sex with somebody, um, condoms are going to protect you from STDs and STIs. Um, so I think like that's like perfect. And, you know, they can don't be proactive, you know, you don't know who people have sex with or anything like that. So like we're saying, better safe than sorry, you know, in my eyes. Right. And I think I will link um, a resource. It's called tellyourpartner.org. It's a way where you can anonymously send a text message to a partner or previous partner, notifying them that you have tested positive for an STI and that they should get tested. That's cool. It's a really good resource because if you were scared about, you know, having that conversation, it gets rid of that barrier for you and, you know, you, the, the partner or the ex-partner is still aware of it and you're putting your health at risk. So check that out. And another thing, going back to risky behaviors, is like mi mixing alcohol and drug usage with sex. Um, as we know, alcohol and drug can impair how we think and also goes in with effects of consent. So okay. it's just things we need to be aware of, especially also with college students, you know, in a new environment, trying new stuff, sex with alcohol or drugs.
drugs. Um, just be aware when you're having sexual activities to, again, consider your health and your partner's health. So a couple of resources I will link. APLA Health Outdoor Clinic, it's LGBT friendly and it's a, a center in South LA. And also DHSP STD LA County. It's a website where you can put your zip code to find clinics through testing. Um, if you are ever worried, concerned, the first thing you should do is get a test. So you're one at ease and also protecting your health. Um, and yeah, so those are some great resources you should check out. All right, so I'm going to take over now. We're going to um, begin talking about birth control because, you know, there's other ways. Um, of course, one of the main outcomes of intercourse is going to be reproduction. And some people may not be ready for that right now or want to prevent unwanted pregnancy. Um, so let's talk about birth control. So, of course, birth control is an option. You don't have to be on birth control. Um, there are many reasons why people are on birth control. It's not just for sex or sex-related things. Um, there's unwanted pregnancy. I know I was put on a birth control um, for my acne. Um, so there's uh, different reasons why people might be on birth control. Sometimes people take birth control as a hormone replacement. Um, so birth control is a way um, you could prevent pregnancy. Um, there are tons of different options out there um, available for you in different types of forms. Um, one, um, if you want to look up ways on which option might be best for you, there's a website um, called bedsider.org. Um, it explains uh, the different types of methods of birth control and explains them um, how to use them, some pros, some cons, um, and you could like compare for your own education. Um, also, there's an episode of Big Mouth on Netflix yeah. that talks about birth control, and it's like really funny um, if you want to laugh. Um, so there's different types. The most common that you see often is the pill. Um, you take that daily um, at a certain time of the day. Um, there's going to be a depot shot, which they don't really use or advocate, um, for much anymore because a lot of women, especially black women, um, it's not working well in their bodies. Um, so that is going to be a shot given to you every three months. Um, there's the patch, which is a small patch that they put into your, uh, under your skin, uh, in your arm. So you just go into a clinic, uh, they do that for you. There's a vaginal ring that sits up at your uterus. Um, the IUD, which is inserted into your, my bad, not your uterus. It, I mean, your uterus, but your uh, vagina right at your cervical opening. Um, the IUD uh, sits in your cervical opening um, and it uh, releases hormones into your uterus. So um, a baby can't attach to your uh, uterine wall. Um, there's abstinence, which is the complete removal of sex. And uh, there is the pulling out method, which is about as successful as nothing. <laughs> it's not successful. <laughs> um, there is the fertility awareness method. So we all have smartphones. We all have um, app stores. Go download you a period app. You can track your um, 
your menstrual cycle. So that'll be your ovulation as well as when you are on your period. So when you're on your period, there's going to be a two-week difference in between when you're on your period and when you're ovulating. And then from when you're ovulating to your next period, that's going to be another two weeks. So the cycle is going to be around three to four weeks. It does range um, for each woman. Uh, so you could do it the old-fashioned way and just count your menstrual days um, and your ovulation. Um, and there are internal and external condoms so there are vaginal condoms for women um but the most ones you probably know about are going to be the ones that um men use so yeah i just want to add really quickly and take note that majority of the birth control she just listed um i guess they fall on the person with the uterus or the person that has the female anatomy and, you know, that's not always the best case because now we're put in a position where we have to be aware of this or, like, remember to take the pill or make sure to even go buy it. You know, it can be expensive. Or even the stigma around it because, let's say, birth control has high levels of success, 90s, 80s, 99s, okay? But there's still those other 10%, those 5% where you're taking birth control and you still wind up pregnant and that stigma where it's your fault because you should have been taking it properly. But right. I mean, you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. And at the end of the day, it does take two to tango. You know? Right. Exactly. However, there's actually a new male birth control in the way and it's, uh, it's reached the level of human subjects trial. So hopefully for the future, this role can be switched and the responsibility doesn't always have to end up on the person with the uterus or the person with the female anatomy. I've heard, I mean, I think I've heard this once, but I think in China they have some type of male birth control. Because okay. when I was in college, um, we would get a lot of uh, international students come in and ask for contraception. And, of course, we're like, Excuse me, what? Like, right. what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, I get back at home. So I think in some countries, they actually do have some type of male contraception. So um, moving on, there is another type of form of contraceptive. But I want to put this in like all caps and exclamation points and emojis, 100 emojis, whatever. Plan B is an option for contraception, but plan B is not birth control, okay? Plan B is not birth control. It is not to be taken daily. Probably shouldn't really be taking it monthly, okay? So plan B is what we know as the morning after pill. Um, it is emergency contraception, and you take it within 72 hours of unprotected sex. So this comes with a huge asterisk. Um, let me add that if you are already ovulating or you are in your ovulation cycle and your uterus has already released an egg, plan B will not work, okay? So it helps prevent a pregnancy before it starts. So what it does is it tricks your hormones into thinking that you are already pregnant. So it's kind of like tricks you into thinking like you already have something there, but you really don't. 
Um, no ID. You don't need a prescription for it. You can walk into CVS. You can walk into Rite Aid. I always uh, hear and see online that they actually have it in Costco. Um, I know it normally retails for like $50, but at Costco, you can get it for like way cheaper, yeah. like 20 I want to say, or 25 Don't I, I don't know. I haven't been in Costco to see, but I do know that some places you can get it for a more discounted price if that $50 is too steep for you. Um, it will not hurt your chances of getting pregnant in the future. Um, but if you're constantly taking it, um, plan B can actually harm your, um, your uterine lining in a way. Um, it's not to be used in the same way as birth control. So you only want to use it in emergencies. Um, you want to use it when you didn't use any form of birth control and had unprotected sex, or there was an issue with regular birth control methods, or like the condom broke, or you missed a day, or you didn't take it at the correct time, or, um, of course, like you missed the dose or something like that. Um, why should a plan B be used in birth control? So it is an emergency. It's only used for emergencies, um, and it works and helps you delay your ovulation. So, of course, your body only wants to release an egg um, so you can have a chance of getting pregnant. So, if they could delay that, they'll do that. So, if you're already in the process of ovulating and you take a plan B, um, most chances are you will still get pregnant. Also, if you are over 170 pounds, um, plan B is less effective, will start becoming less effective for you. Not that it won't work, but it just becomes less effective. If you are over 170 pounds, um, similar to birth control pills, Plan B works by temporarily delaying the release of an egg from the ovary. Um, so there's no egg to meet sperm. Um, no egg means no fertilization, and that leads to no pregnancy. So it only stays in your body for a short amount of time. So it's not meant to be used as regular birth control. Uh, you can and should immediately continue taking your regular birth control or start using um, one after taking a plan B. Um, sometimes plan B will start in an emergency period. Again, plan B affects your hormones, so it all comes into play. So section three, we'll be discussing HIV transmission and education. And just to start us off, we'll have some HIV stats. According to Kaiser, although Black Americans represent only 12% of the U.S. population, they account for 43% of the new HIV diagnosis as of 20, in 2018, and an estimated 42% of people living with HIV. The rate of new HIV diagnosis per 100,000 among Black adults and adolescents was eight times that of whites and more than twice of that of Latinos in 2018. The rate for black men was the highest of any group, twice as that of Latino men, the second highest group, and black women had the highest rate among women in general. Um, according to the LA County of Public Health, there are 57,700 people living with HIV in the county, and Los Angeles does have a five-year plan to end HIV. Um, and why is this important? Well, I mean, we see from the stats, which actually shocked me a lot, it's definitely hitting the Black community harder than any of the others. And I think part of that is 
stigma around different uh, social factors that can contribute to HIV rates. Right, and also due to the nature of HIV and how transmissible it is, um, it just goes back to our conversation earlier about communicating with your partner. And, you know, we have to work towards increasing, you know, that communication Honestly. to, you know, decrease this high rate. And like Asia said, it's hitting the black population, black Latino population, so definitely need to work on So we know that it's important. So how exactly is this five-year plan going to work out? So the plan focuses on four key pillars to end this HIV epidemic. And the first is to diagnose people as early as possible. The second is to treat people rapidly and effectively. Uh, the third is to prevent new HIV transmissions. And the last is to respond quickly to HIV outbreaks. And through the collaboration with multiple stakeholders and community partners, the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health Division of HIV and STD program plans to implement activities that enhance the current the current HIV portfolio, align the four pillars to improve HIV-related health outcomes and to prevent new transmission. Um, and then just a question that I know some people have between HIV and AIDS, um, what is the difference between the two? I know some people sort of use them interchangeably, but they're really completely different things. Yeah, so they should not be um, mixed up at all. So HIV is, you know, in the name. So it is a virus. It is a um, human immunodeficiency virus. Yeah. Um, and then AIDS is developed um, once your white blood cell count reaches a certain amount. So that is autoimmune um, deficiency syndrome. Yeah, and AIDS is like a syndrome with multiple symptoms that may develop in time uh, when a person with HIV does not receive treatment. Yeah, so another big question regarding this topic is how can HIV be uh, contracted? How can it be passed from different people? And there's multiple uh, ways of getting uh, HIV. The primary would be uh, I guess the most common ways in the U.S. is having uh, sex, both vaginal and anal, with someone who has HIV without using a condom or taking medicines to prevent or treat the HIV. Um, and anal sex is actually much more riskier than vaginal sex. And the second most common way in the U.S. is sharing injection drug equipment, so syringes, needles, um, with someone who does have HIV. But I also believe that the other ways of getting HIV that are less common um, is through uh, vaginal fluids, breast milk, so from mother to child. This is a, a common way, but still not as um, common as the two previous uh, ways of getting HIV. Um, the next question we can move on to is how can um, we prevent from contracting it? So uh, one way is called PrEP, which stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a daily pill that is taken by people at risk for HIV and it's taken as prescribed. Uh, PrEP can reduce the chance of becoming infected by up to 99%. And 
increasing the number of individuals who are on PrEP is one of the most effective ways to significantly reduce miniature infection. Yeah, and definitely like, of course, making sure you get tested um, with new sexual partners or before having a new sexual partner um, is definitely a way to protect yourself and other people. Um, always knowing your status um, when it comes to HIV. Um, if you are more at risk of um, contracting HIV, um, you might get screened more often than um, other people would. But um, nowadays, compared to when HIV and AIDS first hit the scene, HIV is a way more livable uh, disease now than it was before. So um, with taking PrEP and other, um, what am I trying to say, kind of remedies to help yourself, you can almost be at untraceable levels with uh, your viral load and your status. And apart from PrEP, there's also PEP, so post-exposure prophylaxis. And that's the use of antiretroviral drugs after a single high-risk event to stop HIV uh, from uh, entering your body and, you know, replicating. Um, PEP, uh, which is the abbreviation for post-exposure prophylaxis, must be started as soon as possible to be effective. Um, within a 72-hour window after exposure. So that's also another option. More of a uh, treatment, not necessarily a prevention, but definitely an option. Um, the next question, uh, why do people that live in underfunded communities, Black and Latinx people, experience higher rates of exposures, and how can it be reduced? Um, I think one of the main uh, areas is going to be like stigma. So besides um, just stigma around sex, I know a lot of people aren't comfortable having conversations about sex in their own home with their parents. Um, luckily, my parents have always just been like very open when it came to talking about sex and being intimate and knowing your body parts and things like that. Um, but not everyone has that privilege. So in other homes, sex as a whole might just might be such a taboo topic that when it's time for them to engage in those activities, they don't know how to be safe about it or they don't know um, how to be proactive like for their own health. I definitely think like stigma around that and that kind of goes along with like cultural norms too that like it's just not appropriate to talk about sex or anything like that, you know, it just kind of happens. Yeah, definitely. I think Asia covered most of it. The lack of awareness about, you know, sex and even what can be included if you're not having good sex, definitely gets important. And also, like, another fact that's, like I said, like, education as well. In California, we do have inclusive education, but only nine states do that in our country. So I think we need to amp up that education. And get everyone aware, get everyone aware of this early on, so this can be prevented. Yeah, and definitely, like, um, we know that um, LBGTQ population, um, LBGTQIA community, um, experience higher rates compared to other communities. And a lot of the times, people don't share back to the stigma thing. 
there's a lot of homophobia, transphobia around their community and a lot of hate around their community to where they can't openly speak about things, as well as religious norms stopping them from living their lives. So people might be have that part hidden about their lives and not even feel the need to get tested or not want to get tested because they're scared of like the disclosure. If you guys like get what I'm saying, the LGBTQIA community uh, suffer a lot or have high diagnosis of HIV and AIDS. And there's a lot of homophobia still to this day, um, obviously transphobia, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's a lot of stigma uh, in different communities about being open and being out to where they can't even fully be themselves. Some might have hidden identities um, to where they're living double lives. And they're not only putting themselves at risk, but they're putting their partners um, multiple um, at risk of contracting HIV. I think there just overall needs to be more open and honest conversations. And back to what we were saying when we first started, um, that you have to be honest with your sexual partners and um, who you are dealing with because you are putting their health at risk too, you know? So I definitely think like there's, you know, social norms, stigma, and even religious norms where you cannot truly be yourself and not get tested uh, adequately or be proactive for your own self out of shame. And it's important to also highlight the statistics for this particular group. According to the CDC in 2018, gay and bisexual men accounted for 69 of the new HIV diagnosis, so two-thirds were uh, with this specific group. Um, Another question that we have is, should transmasculine, transgender men consider taking PrEP? Yeah, so I think whether PrEP is a good idea for transgender men or other transmasculine people depends on the person themselves. And individuals who are at high risk for HIV should discuss PrEP with their healthcare providers and look at all of the you know outcomes and the options they have available and definitely talk to their healthcare provider. Um, and some factors that constitute like a higher risk in general include having a sexual partner with HIV, um, not consistently using condoms or vaginal or anal sex, um, having sex with multiple or anonymous sex partners or a main partner with HIV risk factors all make up some of the higher risk. And I guess a recent bacterial STD also is included in that. And lastly, injecting drugs, because when you share needles, that also leads to a higher um, risk factor for HIV. Um, What about like women or people with uteruses? Are they susceptible or should they be taking um, PrEP or PEP? Yes, I think whoever has these factors that put them at a higher risk, regardless of you know how they identify, should um, talk to their provider to see if this is a good option for them. Okay. Um, some other things that we should probably talk about is um, the misconceptions about HIV. So, like how it's transmitted. We kind of talked about it already being transmitted sexually or sharing needles and things. Um, it is not transmissible through tears, um, sweat, or vomit. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 
So there's been instances um, where people, they ban them from using their bathrooms because they think that, oh, well, they're sitting on my toilet seat and if I go in there behind them, I might catch it too. So it's not um, going to be in the, found in those bodily fluids. So again, tears, sweat, um, vomit, or fecal matter. It's not going to be HIV. It's not going to be found there. It does not thrive there. Um, HIV also does not do well outside of its host, so it's not airborne. You're not going to get it standing next to me, um, or on surfaces. It's not really going to be found on surfaces. It does not last long um, at all. Um, and what makes HIV uh, last long inside the body is that it is a retrovirus. So it's different from most other viruses that we know, so it actually goes in and tricks your body um, by retroactively copying the DNA in there and just spreading and causing havoc within your own body. Um, but early prevention could, you know, make everything kind of your HR, your viral load levels lower to where they're even almost untraceable. Right. Yeah. I think another important thing to bring up is that. Um, a lot of people don't understand how maternal to child transmission occurs and assume if a mother or an expecting person um, is pregnant um, and they're HIV positive, their offspring is automatically not going to be HIV positive. But if the person who is expecting is put on a proper treatment and they take their pills daily according to the treatment, there is a 99% chance that the offspring will not have HIV. So treatment, treatment is so important, especially if you're expecting mommies um, or non-conforming mommies. Uh, so that's also very important to bring up. And I think one more myth I will bring up is some people do have the misconception that HIV or AIDS is just like or only occurs in gay bisexual men, mm -hmm. and that is definitely not the case. When this started out, when HIV and AIDS first um, broke out, it was higher, um, like it was prevalent and like higher, or wait, sorry, uh, when HIV and AIDS first came about, it was, it was recorded highly in gay or bisexual male, and this is because of, you know, the misconception, whether that be the that the norm, the cultural norms that we talked about earlier, but also it's because the way the different way of like having sex, vaginal or anal, and when you're having unprotected sex with anal, um, there's a higher risk of being affected that way because due to several reasons that can occur and it being like rapidly taken up by your blood system. So yeah, it's thinner tissue. I think. Thinner tissue. Yeah. 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 So it's not. Specific to gay people, HIV does not go in there and just be, oh, you're not gay, I gotta bounce. Right. So if anybody, <laughs> anybody can contract HIV, um, getting screenings as early as possible is what can help save you. Yeah, so for the last segment of this podcast, we do wanna highlight some local resources. Uh, Oasis Clinic, which is located uh, at 1807 East 120th Street, Los Angeles, 
Um, they're open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And their contact information would be their clinic phone number, 424-338-2929. Um, the next resource would be uh, the Wellness Center to help everyone help the Wellness Center at Western. 3834 Southwestern Avenue, Los Angeles, California, 90062. And their hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And their phone number is 323-730-1920, extension code 3027. And their email is um, the HIV at to help everyone.org. Um, the third resource we have is ACLA Health Out There Clinic, uh, LGBT Friendly, LGBT Center South LA, um, located in uh, Baldwin Hills area, uh, healthcare HIV specialty care. They also have dental and behavioral health, and their hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're located at 3743 South LaGrea Avenue. Um, their phone number is 323-329-9900, and their after-hour phone number is 323-329-9900. And the last resource we have is Minorities AIDS Project. So uh, MAPS is dedicated to empowering and enriching the lives of individuals with HIV and AIDS and other health disparities by offering medical, mental health, spiritual, and physical health services to all underserved populations by making health-related services and education available and accessible to everyone. Their location is 5149 West Jefferson Boulevard, 90016. Um, and Trap Medicine is out there doing outreach every Tuesday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So a little plug for Trap Medicine. And before we do finish this uh, segment, are there any uh, last minute thoughts about the importance of knowing your status or about HIV in general? Um, I would just like to say like part of making people more comfortable with knowing their status is not associating STDs, STIs, HIV. Um, with the words like nasty or like these are nasty things or people who contract these things are nasty people or they don't live life a certain way. There's a small majority of people where we could be like, okay, like, yeah, you're nasty type of thing. But overall, they're just things that happen to people. They can't control it. Um, but you can be proactive about it. And you can be preventative uh, with your health. Um, so that's all I want to say. And I really like that, Asia. Thanks for saying that. Um, I do also want to include, you know, we are doing, like, I guess you are dealing with your health. You know, it's just a serious matter. And whoever you engage with, it's really important to consider your health. You know, that comes before anything. So please, you know, try to, we stigmatize all of this and just consider the health. It's what's important here. Yeah. So um, one last, last, last question before we leave, guys. Do you like Savage X Fenty? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I will let Rihanna can sell Q-tips, and I will be <laughs> first in line buying Fenty Q-tips, okay? Yeah, exactly. So thanks for joining us, guys, and hope to see you next week for our next one. Yeah. Yeah. If you could keep it, you